Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 20, 17 through 28. And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going to, up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. <clears throat> then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, at one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared for by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Shannon. Uh, we believe that there is power in reading God's word and the preaching of God's word, uh, but we can't receive that power without the Holy Spirit helping us. So let's pray that the Holy Spirit would help us now. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, that it is good, that it is sweeter than the honey on the honeycomb, that it brings truth and it brings life. And so God, we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word now uh, and that you would use it, Father, to um, shape us and mold us to be your people, your children, and your bride. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is the greatest? Who's the goat? Right? That's one of those conversations you love to have, whether you're talking about sports, if it's basketball, is it MJ or is it LeBron? Uh, if it's, uh, you know, guitars, is it uh, Eric Clapton or Stevie Ray Vaughan or Jimi Hendrix or Charlie Ireland, right? <laughs> That's right. We know, we know who the real greatest is, right? The guitarist, Charlie. Right? We all want to talk about the goat. We have this obsession with who is the greatest of all time. And maybe we, even in our hearts, not only do we just want to see uh, we, we don't, who the great celebrities are, but, but maybe in our hearts we want to be great. Maybe we want to be a great dad or a great husband or a great uh, wife or a great child or a great uh, pianist or... Uh, photographer, right? Um, when I think about wanting to be great, it, it reminds me of a time whenever Tucker and I were playing disc golf together and we're having the, one of those father-son, like heart-to-heart -heart conversations. And he just kind of out of nowhere goes, dad, I want to be great. I said, okay, what do you want to be great at? And he goes, I don't care. I just want to be great at something. <laughs> I think that desire is down deep in all of us. And it's there because we were created for glory. God created us in his image to be his image bearers that would rule over all of creation with a glory and a majesty that is unsurpassed by anything in this world. 
And so we were created for that glory, but then that glory is fallen because of sin. And so we, there's, there's part of us that knows we were created to be more and to do more and to achieve more. And so we're all on this search for glory, this search for greatness. Uh, well, this morning, um, I want you to see uh, that kingdom greatness, the greatness we were looking for, the greatness we want, the greatness we desire, is measured not by how much we get, but by how much we give. Kingdom greatness is measured by how much we give, not by how much we get. It's measured through a life of service and sacrifice for others. It's measured through a life of, um, of, of being unnoticed. Uh, kingdom greatness looks a lot like the secret life of Walter Mitty. You guys ever seen that movie or, or read that book? It's, a, it's a, probably, one of, I think, one of Ben Stiller's best movies. Uh, but Walter Mitty is this average at best a uh, film developer. He works for a magazine and, and they go out and they take all these beautiful pictures all over the world. And his job is simply to develop the pictures that are, on, that are in the magazine. So nobody ever sees him. Uh, and he, he's lonely. He wants to date. So his, he, he creates a dating profile and his life is so like meaningless. He lies about all these things that he's done on his dating profile. I'm sure nobody's ever done that before, right? to make his life seem much greater than it actually is. And when he finds the woman of his dreams, he has all these uh, grand uh, delusions about his life, about how he's going to do all these great things to rescue her and become this great person that he's never done before. Uh, well, at some point, there is a, uh, the magazine is going to be ending, and so they, they've got to have one last picture to put on the cover. And he gets sent out to find the quintessential picture, the picture that defines greatness for this magazine. And so he goes all over the world, traveling around, doing all these amazing things that he's always dreamt of doing. And he finally finds the picture. When he finally finds the picture and he develops it, what does he find? It is a picture of him developing a picture. It's saying that the greatness of that magazine was not defined by all the people who were taking the pictures. It was designed, it was measured by this lowly film developer that was developing pictures for everybody else so that everybody could see the beauty of the world. That's what kingdom greatness looks like. Kingdom greatness is measured by how much you give not by how much you get. So we're going to look at uh, three different types of greatness that Jesus talks about here this morning. We're going to look at worldly greatness, kingdom greatness, and his greatness. The first thing that Jesus describes for us is worldly greatness. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and that their great ones exercise authority over them. Now you can't see this in the English, but in the Greek, there's a prefix in front of the words Lord and authority that intensifies the meaning, that makes it stronger and more powerful. And it's as if Jesus is saying that these Gentiles who represent the worldly leaders are domineering and authoritative. They're using their power not to build up others, but to oppress others. And when you begin to study their culture, you begin to see what that looks like. 
Uh, The Gentiles measured greatness by the number of servants or slaves they possessed. So for them, worldly greatness was measured by power. The more people you have underneath you, the more people you can control and domineer, the more powerful you were. Uh, For them, worldly greatness was also measured by position. Uh, In the Jewish customs, uh, the center seat was the highest seat of honor, followed by the seats to the right and to the left. So that's why the disciples were asking, can I sit on your right or your left? Because those are the highest positions they could have had. Um, whenever it, they were so, it, this position was so important for them that when rabbis walked down the road, the rabbi would walk in the center and his disciples would stand to his sides on his right and his left. This was a, they, they measured greatness by the position and we measure greatness by positions as well, right? You're, the CEOs are the greatest person in the company and the pastors are the greatest person in the church. Not really, but we tend to think that. And the, uh, the, the bosses, the coaches, the teachers, the leaders, you know, whoever's at the top position with people underneath them, then they're the great ones. And they're the ones that get the most prestige. We measure worldliness by prestige. They get the most, they're paid the most. They have the most awards, the most accolades. Uh, the, they get the best scholarships. They have the most followers. And so for the world, Greatness is measured by how much you get, by how much power and position and prestige that you can accumulate. Now, the church is just as susceptible uh, to measuring greatness like this as the rest of the world is. I mean, you kind of have to laugh about the disciples here asking Jesus if they can sit in these great positions, or or at least maybe having their mother, maybe have their mother ask for them, which makes it even more kind of pathetic, right? Like, hey, mom, can you go up and ask Jesus if we can sit with him next to him on the throne, you know? And they did this multiple times. Jesus several, you know, I think it was three times he he tells them about his uh, his impending trial in Jerusalem, how he's going to be beaten and crucified and, and judged. And then after every time, there's a story about them saying, hey, you know what, can we, can we sit by you in your right and your left there in the kingdom? They were desiring this, this power and this prestige. And, the, and it wasn't just James and John. It says that all the disciples were angry at them. Why were they angry? Well, if James and John are sitting to Jesus' right and left, then they can't sit in his right and left. They wanted those positions as well. And we're just as guilty as that, right? Even in the church today, we want power and prestige and positions. Uh, We attach ourselves to great pastors, uh, great Christian leaders. Uh, We elevate them to celebrity status. We give them too much wealth and prestige. Uh, Like the church in Corinth, we're prone to say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. We say, I follow Keller, I follow MacArthur, I follow Chandler, I follow dot, 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 right? So this is a warning to us not to, uh, not not to create this measure of greatness in the church. And and this is a, this is a good warning, a good corrective to our, uh, to our current elders and to our future elders and deacon, right? There is going to be the temptation in this office as soon as you're ordained and installed to elevate yourself above others and to let them elevate you above them. 
just the way our hearts work. And that's destructive and it's dangerous. It's a temptation for all of us. Now, let me be careful to say what Jesus isn't doing here is he is not critiquing godly wealth and godly ambition and godly leadership. The Bible affirms this in several places. In fact, we're, you know, we're ordaining and installing these officers today because God says it is good to have leaders that provide direction and vision. Uh, God says it is good to uh, have ambition. He, he says that he rewards people. Uh, there's a parable called the parable of the talents where Jesus teaches that some people are given one talent, some people are given three talents, some people are given five talents. And in the end, he wants you to use whatever talent you have responsibly for his glory and for the good of the world. So Jesus is not saying we all just need to be lazy. Uh, we don't need to have, we need to have flat, you know, no leadership, uh, no positions, nothing like that. He's not saying that. He's saying that the problem is something deep in our hearts. That sin is parasitic and it has taken a good thing and it's twisted it. It's, it's used it so that power becomes something that we use to abuse people instead of edify people. Power is something that we get for our own good, not for the good of others. So what Jesus is going to do is he's going to redefine greatness for us in a way that all of us can see and experience through Jesus um, an article I read a few years ago. This was written for college students. We got some college students here, so I thought this would be good for them, but I think it's good for all of us. Uh, the title of the, the article was, You'll Never Be Famous and That's Okay. And this is what it says. Today's college students desperately want to change the world, but too many think that living a meaningful life requires doing something extraordinary and attention-grabbing like becoming an Instagram celebrity, starting a wildly successful company, or ending a humanitarian crisis. Having idealistic aspirations is, of course, part of being young. But thanks to social media, purpose and meaning have become conflated with glamour. Extraordinary lives look like the norm on the internet. Yet the idea that a meaningful life must be or appear remarkable is not only elitist, but also misguided. Over the past five years, I've interviewed dozens of people across the country about what gives their lives meaning. And I've read through thousands of pages of psychology, philosophy, and neuroscience research to understand what truly brings people satisfaction. The most meaningful lives I've learned are not the extraordinary ones, but the ordinary lives lived with great dignity. That's what Jesus is going to drive us to in his definition of greatness, is an ordinary life lived with great dignity. That's the second thing we're going to look at here is kingdom greatness. He says it, he describes this in verse 26 and 27. He says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. So Jesus describes kingdom greatness with two words that have a lot of meaning, right? Servants and slaves. A servant is someone who works not for themselves, but for someone else. Um, a servant does this by choice, right? They, they willingly choose to serve someone else, to place someone else's needs ahead of themselves. A slave does it by duty. 
Uh, these slaves would have been bond servants. It would have been someone who couldn't pay their debt, and so somebody else paid their debt for them, and so then they worked to pay off that debt. They served them. So they were duty-bound to serve this other person. And Jesus is saying, they're the first. They're the leaders. Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. If you want to be first, you've got to be a slave. You've got to willfully and dutifully place yourself beneath others and serve them for their good. Jesus showed us here that, that kingdom greatness is measured not by how much you get, but by how much you give. Kingdom greatness is sacrificial. It requires us to use our time and energy and money and gifts for the good of others. It requires us to see our resources not as ours, but as God's. Uh, Our our officers in our church are, are men who lead in giving sacrificially of their time, their money, and their energy, right? They're going to come early. They're going to stay late. They're going to give. They're going to, they're going to take the phone calls in the middle of the night and they're going to, they're going to drive to help people, to counsel people, to pray with people, to cry with people. That's kingdom greatness. Kingdom greatness is is service-oriented. It requires you uh, to put others in front of yourselves, to to recognize that life is not about you, right? Uh, Purpose-driven life is one of the the widest-selling Christian books in the history of Christianity, right, in the history of the world. And it, 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 say what you will about all the theology in it, but it starts out, with this simple phrase, and I think it's accurate. It's talking about the meaning of life, and it says, it's not about you. Jesus is saying that the greatest people are the ones who know that life is not about them. Kingdom greatness is service-oriented, and kingdom greatness requires suffering. It it requires you to to put other people's needs in front of your own. So kingdom greatness is, is displayed when siblings share their toys, right? When you place your siblings' needs and wants in front of your own. Uh, it's displayed uh, when parents use their time and money and energy to help their kids in a million ways for like 30 or 40 years before they finally can appreciate all the sacrifices that they've made, Kingdom greatness is displayed when roommates find ways to serve each other, right? In small ways around the house, around the apartment. Kingdom greatness is displayed when, when spouses come together, even when it's hard to find ways to be intimate, to forgive, to be loving and gracious and kind, and, and to put their spouse's needs in front of their own needs. Kingdom greatness is displayed when church members change diapers, sweep floors, lead Bible studies, give generously, host events, and even put on the target of becoming an officer. Kingdom greatness is, dis- is, is displayed when Christians suffer for the good of others. I heard a story this week about a Christian community called the Iman community. And, and during the bubonic plague, a Someone brought in the bubonic plague into their community 
and that person died rather quickly and they realized that it was gonna spread rapidly. They also realized that this small community was surrounded by a bunch of larger communities. And so the Christian leaders got together and they formed a plan and the plan was to build a, a, to quarantine themselves, to build a fence of rocks around their community so that no one could leave and they would all stay there together during this time so that they wouldn't infect anyone else. And 300 of their 800 people died during that time. But they sacrificed their lives for the good of others. Uh, Kingdom greatness is displayed in this story about a, a CEO, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, who would show up to his church every Saturday morning with nobody there to vacuum. And the pastor knew that he was coming to do it, but nobody else knew he was coming to do it. And when he was asked why he was doing it, he said, it's because in my position, everyone treats me differently every day. And so I come here every Saturday to vacuum, to remind myself that I'm nobody, that I'm a servant. That's kingdom greatness. Kingdom greatness uses their power and prestige and position to build others up. It is measured by how much you give, not by how much you get. Kingdom greatness humbles themselves so that Jesus might exalt them. Kingdom greatness says, not my life for yours, not not, not your life for mine, but my life for yours. It's a greatness that we were created for. It's a greatness that brings joy, but it's a greatness that we don't naturally have in and of ourselves. It's a greatness we have to receive. How do we receive it? We receive it through Jesus' greatness. And that's the last thing we see in the passage. Jesus talks about his greatness in verse 27, I'm sorry, 28. He says, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Son of Man was one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. Uh, it's, a, it's a title that comes from the book of Daniel. It's, it's actually used in a couple places, but, but he's using it here probably in reference to the book of Daniel, where it describes one like the Son of Man who comes to rule and reign in power over God's people. And they believed that at some point this divine messianic figure was going to come and defeat all their enemies and rule over them as their great king. So Jesus is saying, oh, time and again in the scriptures, I am the son of man and I have come as this divine warrior king to defeat your enemies and rule over you. So he says that here, even the son of man came to be served, but to serve. So he says the son of man, but then he adds something to it. He talks about serving. And so what he's doing is he's taking two Old Testament concepts and he's putting them together. This idea of a servant leader is talked about in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah, there's a suffering servant that comes to give his life for the sins of others. And so Jesus is taking two Old Testament concepts and he's putting them together both in himself to say, yes, I am the divine messianic king that has come to rule and reign in victory, but I'm a king on a cross. I'm a king unlike any other king in the world. I'm a king unlike any other king that's existed. 
You see, every other uh, worldview, every other religion, every other culture, they have kings that rule and reign from their throne and their servants are subjected to them. But only in Christianity do you have a God, do you have a king who was willing to come down from the throne, not to be served, but to serve even to the point of death. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's driving us deeper and deeper into the heart of service. He's saying, yeah, a good servant is great, right? If you have someone who serves other people, that's a great thing. And then, then you go a little lower and you're like, but then you have a slave and a slave doing his duty is first. And you're like, wow, that's, that's even better than a servant. And now Jesus is, is driving us even deeper to say the greatest measure, the greatest description, the greatest definition of what it means to be great is that the great king of the universe would come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, to pay a ransom. What is a ransom? A ransom is a debt that is paid to free a slave or a, captain, a captive. Uh, one theologian said it this way, a ransom or redemption is a purchase price paid to obtain the release of a captive. In antiquity, a king might pay a ransom to set free a general or a son who was captured in battle. A commoner might pay a price to set a slave free. But these concepts, both well-known in Israel and Roman Empire, are merely starting points of a metaphor that points to something far deeper. Jesus offered himself, not money, to, to deliver us from the bondage of sin and its power and its consequences. Jesus came to pay our ransom, our, our addiction to greatness. Right? Our, our, our search for greatness is not just a... a, a, a a wanderlust of children. It's not just a midlife crisis. It's not just an, an empty nest, uh, you know, uh, uh, failed life. It is a, a, a search for the glory that we're created for, for a glory that we fall short of every day, for a glory that we reject in a million ways. And every time we do that, we create a debt between us and God. And Jesus says, I came to pay that debt. Because you can't achieve the glory that you want. So I'm going to achieve it for you. And I'm going to pay the debt for you. So ultimately, the, the greatness that you want, the greatness that you need, is a greatness that is not achieved. It is a greatness that's received. The greatness that you want, the greatness that you need, is a greatness that is received, not achieved. So if you're looking at your life and you're saying, I, I've been a failure. I've been a bad husband. I've been a bad wife. I've been a bad uh, child. There's grace for you here in this passage. Jesus is saying, I have paid the debt for you so that you can receive my greatness. Maybe you've just been average. Is there anything worse in our culture right now than just being average? Right? Even if you love coffee, you just can't be an average coffee lover. You've got to be like an extreme coffee lover. Jesus is saying, in me, you were more than average. You are glorious. And the good news of, this, of the gospel and the good news in this, this Bible is um, that what James and John asked for, 
that actually receive in Jesus. You realize that? Uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you have come to Jesus and you've confessed your sins and you have asked him to forgive you and you have made him your Lord and Savior, then the reality of your life is that right now, yes, you're physically seated here, but you are really spiritually united to Jesus who is sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. You have a glory and a dignity and a greatness in Jesus that far surpasses anything that you could get here on earth and that is unfading, that is un... Uh, you can't, it can't be taken from you. Jesus has already done it. And so you receive it by grace through faith in him. Um, by grace through faith in Jesus, this mother's request was granted and so was ours. In Jesus, we have a power and a position and a prestige that can never be taken from us. And so what we do with that is we serve others out of that. We serve others out of the greatness and the glory that Jesus has given us, right? We serve willingly because we have been served by Jesus. We serve dutifully because we have a good master, we give of our finite resources because Jesus gave of his infinite resources. We humble ourselves because we've been exalted in Jesus. We can go down because we've been lifted up. The sacrifice of Jesus transforms our hearts so that we can be godly leaders the way Jesus created us to be. We measure greatness not by how much we give. I'm sorry, not by how much we get, but by how much we give. Because Jesus gave his life for us. He's more than just our example. He's our ransom. He's our savior. If you just take Jesus as your example here, you will crush yourself. And you won't find, uh, um, you'll miss all the greatness and glory of Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're, you're thinking about coming to Jesus, you're thinking about becoming a Christian, you're thinking about what it means uh, to follow him, to know him, to be with him. Don't just see him as your example of greatness. See him as your greatness. This is the good news, that where you have fallen short of the glory of God, Jesus has not fallen short. And he invites you into a relationship with him where you can see, receive the greatness that you want and the glory that you need. So let's pray that God would help us all receive that this morning. Please pray with me.